If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. It is so good to be back with you, church family. Thank you for the time away that you gave our family. It was a great time with family and friends. It was rejuvenating and refreshing, so thank you so much. I'm excited to start this year by a reminder of why we do what we do as a church. I believe this passage, maybe more beautifully than any other in the New Testament, summarizes the beautiful grace and mercy Jesus has won for us. With that in mind, once you've turned there, would you please stand to your feet with me as we honor the reading of God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 16, we read these words. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we've known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. This is God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word to us. Let's pray together. Father, as we jump into this text this morning, we pray that your spirit would open our minds and our hearts to what you have to say to us. God, I believe you have something to say to every single person listening to this message. Lord, as we listen today, would you give us not just ears to hear, but would you also help us to be doers of your word as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. In 2019, the state of Arizona amassed a $14.6 million lottery amount. The time came where they assigned that amount to a winning lottery ticket. With technology today, they were able to define and identify exactly where that lottery ticket had been purchased. They could even tell you the time of day. Something very interesting happened. As time went on, the person with the winning lottery ticket never showed up. $14.6 million that was just vacated because they never showed up. Now, I'm not telling that story to necessarily encourage you to go out and buy a lottery ticket today. But it is parallel, I think, to a spiritual reality you and I face. Because I wonder how many of us, though we've won the spiritual lottery, are not claiming all the benefits 
we've been given in Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of us would recognize that through Jesus, what we've been given is a grace and a mercy and a peace and a power that oftentimes, if we're really honest, we only experience a thimble full of. As we start the new year, my hope for you and hope for us as a body is that we would not settle just for a thimble of experiencing what we have in Jesus, but that we would experience what Jesus said to the woman when he said that there would be a well that would spring up into us that would be overflowing. This passage of scripture, what the apostle Paul so beautifully does is he shows us exactly what the benefits are that you and I have been given in Jesus. And so what I'm gonna do this morning is I'm gonna try to unpack from this passage what benefits you've been given. But in that, I'm gonna be challenging each of us to embrace not just some of these benefits, but to embrace all of Christ's benefits this morning. And this is the idea that's gonna kind of control our time. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Because Jesus has richly blessed us, embrace all his benefits. Because Jesus Christ has so richly given you grace upon grace upon grace, don't settle for just living in light of some of those. Just a thimbleful. Jump into the deep end of his grace and mercy for us. There are three benefits I want to show you from this passage and three admonitions that are going to correspond to that. Number one, I want to challenge you to embrace your position in Christ. Number one, I want to challenge you from this text to embrace your position in Christ. Look at verse 16 with me to see how Paul talks about this. He says, from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. The Apostle Paul describes this position first through the lens of a perspective. And he says that we should reject a worldly, or some of your translations might say fleshly perspective. This is the perspective all of us are born with that that makes you and me the main character of our own little universes. You see, the sinful disposition we're born with makes us think life is about us. And so as a result, we evaluate the world through that lens. We look at people, we look at ourselves, we look at politics, we look at our money, we look at all these things through the lens of that they're all about us. Paul says we should reject this. He even uses an example. He talks about his own life and that he once looked at Jesus through this perspective. See, in the Apostle Paul's life as a very, very religious and devout Pharisee, he rejected Christ. He saw Christ as a threat to his power and his position, what he'd given his life to. But when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, everything changed in his life. He didn't see Jesus as a threat. He didn't see Jesus as a false teacher. He saw Jesus as the true king, as the true hero, as the true main character that Paul was to give his life in service to. Paul says that this perspective is one we're to reject. We're to abandon this idea that we're the center of the universe because, look at verse 17, why? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. 
the reason you and I are to abandon this kind of main character thinking that we're born with is because once we come to know Jesus, we have been radically transformed. Paul here describes it as a a new creation. It's the picture of a of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, a, a totally new state of existence that we've entered into as followers of Christ. In case we're not clear about that, he says, the old has passed away and the new has come. We've ended one state of existence and we've entered into a brand new way of living. Said another way, we've been given a brand new identity, a new position before God. When I was in Tennessee this past Christmas, I was with my dad and my brother who are both bankers. I come from a family of financiers and my brother uh, as a branch manager for a bank called SunTrust. And uh, he was describing to me how his bank over the last last year has been going through this massive merger with a bank called BB&T. And so over the last year, SunTrust and BBT have been negotiating, working through this. But, but the net result is in the next year or so, these two banks have officially become one. And they will become this new thing, this new bank called Truist. Truist is the name of the new bank that they're going to form. It was interesting to listen to my brother describe as all the regulations they had to go through with the government, all the, the negotiating that went on. But what was clear in listening to my brother describe this merger is that the new bank was not just a sandwiching together of the two banks previously that had existed. This new bank was meant to be a brand new entity, a brand new organization, a brand new business. It wasn't just an extension of the old, it was a brand new thing. What I want you to know about Jesus in your life is that if you know him, he's brought you into a brand new state of existence. It's not just an extension of the old. It's not you trying to add Jesus to what you were already doing in your life. It's a brand new identity that you've been given. Let me tell you why that's so important. The reason that's so critical to your soul is because salvation is more than just a decision. The grace and the mercy that Jesus gives you is more than just an isolated religious experience you had in the past. Now, I want to be clear. I believe you have to make a decision. I believe you have to repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in Jesus. You have to cross the line of faith to move out of that old state into that new state. But what Paul equally makes clear is that while there's a definitive point in time when we become a Christian, it's not an isolated event. We have to quit thinking about our decision or our praying to receive Christ as an isolated moment. And we have to start thinking about it as a bridge into a whole new way of living. This is incredibly important because probably all of us know someone in our lives who prayed a prayer when they were seven or had an experience at vacation Bible school or at youth camp. But if you look at their life as an adult, there's no sign of Jesus whatsoever. What do you say to that person? What do you say if this morning you are that person? I had this experience a long time ago, Spencer, but... But there's no real change in my life. There's no real fruit in my life. But the Bible teaches that you're probably not a Christian. I said probably 
Because I'm not the judge, jury, and executioner on your salvation. That's between you and God. But what I can say, what I can very confidently say, is that if your life doesn't reflect the gospel, doesn't reflect Jesus, you're not living like a Christian. The reason I say probably is because it's my life as a pastor, is my role as a pastor. I encounter people all the time who had an experience but were never discipled. They were never helped. They were never trained to know what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus. So I don't want to spike the ball too hard on that. But we don't need to hesitate to say that if you're in Christ and you're a new creation, and that's a new state of existence, and if my life doesn't reflect that new state of existence, there's a problem. There's a disconnect there. This is incredibly important for parents in the room who are trying to share their faith with their children. Parents, one of the things we have to do as we share our faith with our kids, especially with young kids, is live in the tension of urgently trying to lead our children to faith in Jesus while still trying to be sensitive to making sure they understand the gravity, as, as best they can, the gravity of what's happening to them. Right now, we're, we're sharing the gospel regularly with one of our children and praying for him to come to know Jesus. But I'm not so urgently going to tell him about Jesus and try to get him to pray a prayer, fill out a card, or check a box that I don't fully bring to bear in his life clarity that this is a new way of living that Jesus is going to bring in your life. Only other thing I'd say about this is if indeed Paul's saying this is true, that if we're in Christ, if we're united to Jesus through faith, and that means that we're a new creation, that also has something to say about our attitude towards our sin. You see, if it's true that you're a new creation, I want you to listen to me very carefully about your sin. Because what the Bible says very clearly is if you are a new creation, you don't have to sin. Now, I didn't say you wouldn't sin. I said you don't have to. Where do you get off saying that? Because in Paul in Romans 6 says, he who has died has been freed from sin. See, one of the ways you embrace all the benefits of Jesus this year is by recognizing that via your position, via the new creation that God has brought to bear in your life, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can say no to sin and yes to righteousness. It's truth. And so if you've walked in here today kind of accepting some sin in your life, kind of accepting that maybe it's just your personality, just the way you were raised, or this is just kind of my cross to bear. I hear people spiritualize their sin all the time. Please understand that that attitude is foreign from the Bible. We're to fight against our sin. We're to war against it. And Paul says, because you're a new creation, you don't have to lay down to your sin. You can reject that in your life. As we start 2020, my prayer for you is that you would embrace all the benefits of Christ, which include your position. But secondly, this text also speaks to our peace. We should embrace your peace from Christ. Embrace your peace from Jesus. Now, to make sense of this in 18 through 21, you're going to see the word reconciliation come up a lot. And so you have to understand what we're being reconciled from mentioned a moment ago that, that all of us are born with this fallen condition where we think we're the main character of our own story. 
this main character kind of thinking, the real problem with it is it puts us at rebellion, at enmity, at war with God. Every single human being, without exception, is born with this anger, this hostility towards God. Yesterday afternoon, I was in my house, and I don't know, parents, about you, if you're ever downstairs and you hear something going on upstairs that shouldn't be going on, you ever had that experience? And here my daughter, my beautiful three-year-old little girl, doing something that she shouldn't do. And so I hollered with my dad voice and said, Paige, stop doing that. Don't do that. And this is what I heard come from upstairs. Whatever. (laughs) Three years old. I said, come down here right now. We had a conversation about the nuances of the word whatever and why it was disrespectful. What's happening there in my three-year-old's life? She is rebelling against authority. She doesn't like being told what to do. And before we too judgmentally look at my three-year-old daughter, that's the true, that's the same thing for you and for me. I don't know about you, I don't like being told what to do either. I have this kind of resistance to authority in my life. That's a main character kind of way of thinking. All of us have been born with that. Imagine for a second if I was able to break into the White House, sit at the the Resolute Desk in the Oval Office and begin to act like I was the president. How long do you think I would be able to do that before Secret Service showed up? Maybe five seconds? 10 seconds and you'd never see me again, right? They'd lock me up forever. think I was crazy. Because there's only one president. And here's what I want you to see. The reason this reconciliation is so important is because our condition puts us in the position where we're sitting at God's desk. We're acting like we're God when we're not puts us at enmity with God in the same way that it puts the secret service at enmity with the crazy person sitting at the president's desk. So what does God do? This is our condition. Look at verse 18. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. That word reconcile means to move somebody from hostile to friend. To move somebody from being their enemy and opposed to them to being their child, their son, and their daughter. Though God is opposed by us, though though we're rebelling against him, though we've rejected his authority in our lives, God does not give us what we deserve to the glory of his name. He gives us reconciliation. Now don't miss this. Because the text has a beautiful, and I mean beautiful, implication here. Because the implication is not that you and I go and get forgiveness from God. What's taught here is that God extends forgiveness to us. Look back at your Bibles, verse 18. What does it say? Everything is from God. And this is critical because what this means is that the offending party is forgiving the one who's doing the offending. The offended party is forgiving the offending. And you think about most situations in life, that's not the way it works. 
there's a spouse that's been wronged by the other, oftentimes they'll bring in a, a marriage counselor or a pastor to help mediate in their life. If there's a problem in business and there's two sides that are opposed to each other, oftentimes they'll hire a lawyer or a mediator to come in and work through the issues so that they can find some resolution. And we all know the reason for that. It's because it's hard for somebody who's been hurt, someone who's been offended, to extend forgiveness and to be objective about restoring that relationship. You need a third party. But the beautiful, good news about the benefits you've been given in Jesus is that's not how God does things. God seeks us out. God pursues you and me with forgiveness and mercy and grace that we do not deserve. The good news of the gospel is the peace that you and I have with God is not something that originated with us. It's something God has graciously given to us. My favorite verse in the Bible is Romans 5.8. It says, God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you can see the beauty of the gospel, sweet people, in the timing of the gospel. God doesn't love us. He doesn't care for us when we're fixed up and cleaned up and presentable before him. He loves us. He pursues us when we're rebelling against him. How does God do this? Look at the rest of the text. Look at verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So, so the way that God does this is he doesn't give us what we deserve. He doesn't, in his heavenly accounting, give us what our trespasses deserve, he gives us grace. But if you really want to see how God does this, skip down to verse 21. In one of the most profound statements in all of the Bible, listen to what Paul says. He made the one, this is Jesus he's speaking of, he made Jesus who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. How does God pursue you and me? He puts his precious son in the position to trade places with us. Jesus assumes my sin, my wickedness, my lying, my deception, my pride, my lust. He takes all of that and on the cross he dies in my place and in your place. And by faith, what I get is his righteousness. I'm declared just. I'm declared innocent. I'm declared forgiven. But did you notice what Paul said Jesus did in order to make this possible? It says that he became sin for us. That means that Jesus Christ so assumed my sin and your sin that when the Father looked at him, he saw sin. He so assumed my problem and your problem that when God saw him, he saw the punishment that you and I should deserve. I think it's a, in some ways a picture of what happens in marriage, right? When you marry someone, you're assuming all of who they are. They have debts, you're assuming those debts. If they have problems, you're assuming those problems. If they have health issues or whatever, you're assuming all of that as you become one flesh. A few years ago, the BBC redid the old Sherlock Holmes 
books in a modern kind of culture and narrative. It's Sherlock Holmes operating in kind of modern day times, and of course he was paired up with Dr. John Watson, his partner. In this modern retelling of the Sherlock Holmes story, Dr. Watson takes a wife who ends up deceiving him. She ends up tricking him and being uh, not forthright and honest about who she really was. And over the course of time, Dr. Watson discovers who his wife really is, and she gives him a jump drive, a thumb drive, with files that explain who she really was in her former life. And after a couple months go by, after really trying to decide what he was going to do with this woman who had lied to him, Dr. Watson approaches his wife before this Christmas fire, and this is what he says to her. He says, I've thought really long and hard about what I'm going to say to you, but I want you to know this. The problems of your past are your business, but the problems of your future are my privilege. And he takes that jump drive and he throws it in the fire. It's a beautiful picture of grace and forgiveness and mercy in our culture. But I want you to know this, as beautiful as that picture of forgiveness and grace really is, I want you to know that Jesus offers you something better. Because he doesn't say that your past is your business. Jesus looks at you and I and says, your past, your present, and your future sin are all my privilege. This is why Jesus can say, that can be said of Jesus, he became sin for us. He takes all of that on himself. My hope for you this year is that you and I would embrace the peace that we have from Jesus through his great sacrifice. As we apply that to our lives, let me make a quick suggestion about how you can do that in 2020. I think the primary way you and I can experience the peace of Christ is through the discipline and the practice of repentance. Repentance, Spencer. Oh, what? I thought repentance was just something that happened when I first came to know Jesus. When I first come to know Christ, I, I turn from my sin and I trust Christ and I'm, I'm forgiven. And that's true. That's, that's that initial act of repentance. But I don't know if you found this to be the case, but once you become a Christian, you didn't sprout wings and grow a halo. You still struggle with sin in your life. And so repentance is an ongoing discipline that involves two things, at least two things. It involves owning your sin and replacing your sin. Let me be clear what, about, what I mean by that. Number one, owning. When I repent of my sin, I own it when I look right at it and I don't make excuses for it. I don't compare it away by saying I'm better than the, the serial killer down the street. I don't make excuses and try to minimize how serious it really is. When I repent of my sin, I own it. I see it for what it is and I don't look away. But repentance also involves replacing my sin. It's replacing sin with righteousness. But be careful because repentance is more than just your behavior. Repentance is an act of worship. Where I replace the lie that led me to do what I did with the truth. Sweet people, remember behind every sinful thought, attitude, and action is the lie that that sin is better than Jesus. 
And so repentance is me turning, not just from the behavior, but from the lie at my heart that led me to that. So that as you go through 2020, if God convicts you of something you said to your wife, something you looked at on the internet, something you said about somebody you should not have said, repentance is where before God and others, I own what I did, And I say this to my Heavenly Father, God, I repent. I turn from that lie that led me to that, and I believe right now that Jesus is better. Oh God, would you help me believe and trust that Jesus Christ is better than anything sin will ever bring into my life. And can I tell you the good news of the gospel this morning? When you repent and you turn from your sin, that's a discipline or practice of your life, what will flood into your soul is a peace. A peace that comes from knowing I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. I'm a child of the King. And though I didn't act like it in this moment, that doesn't change who I am. And I know who I am because He who became sin for me did so, so that I could be the righteousness of God. Thirdly and finally, we see in this text not only our position in Christ and our peace from Christ, but we see that we're called, thirdly, to embrace your purpose for Christ. To embrace your purpose for Christ. There's a parallel in 18 through 21 of of God being described through the Apostle Paul's writings as doing two things. On the one hand, he reconciles us and 18 and 19, you saw me unpack that, and 21 shows that. But what's connected to that is a a second idea, that not only does God reconcile us, He also commissions us. Notice how this parallel emerges. Look at verse 18 and 19 with me. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ. There's action number one. Here's the commissioning. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Watch it again in verse 19. That is, here's the first proposition. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And here's the second idea. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. What's Paul doing here? He's saying that part of what Jesus gives us is not just forgiveness. Jesus gives us purpose. He gives us marching orders. And specifically here, we're given the ministry and the message of reconciliation. The truth that we've been reconciled through the work of Jesus Christ is a truth that we are now called to go and proclaim to a lost and dying world. The reason that's so important for your life is we've got to come to the understanding that the peace we have from Jesus is a peace with a purpose. It's reconciliation for a reason. Jesus does not save you and shelve you. Jesus saves you and sends you. What this passage is saying so beautifully is that you've been saved from something and you've been saved for something. What does that look like? Look at what he says in verse 20. Look at how he connects that in verse 20. He says, Therefore, in light of the fact that we've been saved from and for something, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. An ambassador is an envoy, a messenger, a herald of another king in another country. 
When you cross the line of faith and become a Christian, not only does God bring you into a new state of existence, He gives you a new job description. (coughs) And your new job as a follower of Jesus is to represent your king by pleading. Did you notice that word? Pleading, begging people to be reconciled to God. And that's important clarification because we're not primarily calling people to be reconciled to themselves. I hear people erroneously talk about that all the time. You've got to forgive yourself. Well, I kind of understand where you're coming from that, but that's not really what you need. What you need is for God to forgive you. You're not the authority on your life. You're not the person you're going to be held accountable to when you stand before God. God is the one you're accountable to. Be reconciled to God. We're pleading with people. We're begging people. Turn from your sin and experience His forgiveness and grace. Be reconciled to Him. But I don't want you to miss the rationale Paul gave for that in verse 20. He said, since God is making His appeal through us. What this is saying is that when you and I open our mouths and we tell someone about Jesus and we tell them that he died for them and that he rose again and that they can be forgiven, that the Spirit of God is working through us in a very unique and powerful way. I would say it this way. You and I cannot fully experience the grace and power of Jesus unless we embrace our role as ambassadors. Let me say that another way. You can't fully embrace all the benefits of the gospel unless you open your mouth and talk about it. It's only when I personally, you personally engage in talking about Jesus, investing the gospel in the lives of others, coming alongside other believers and helping them do the same, It's only when you see God work through you to transform someone else's life that you're fully embracing all the benefits you've been given in Jesus. See, because there's a great difference between just knowing that you are an ambassador, knowing about being an ambassador, and actually living like one and experiencing Christ's power. One of the great joys of our time in Tennessee this past week was getting to see my only living grandparent. I have one living grandparent left, my grand. She's 90 years old, and she's not in good health. She's not doing well. And she will not be with us on this earth much longer. But we're thankful that she's a strong believer. She has trusted the Lord. She is trusting the Lord, and she knows her final destination. But one of the things that Shelly and I have done over the last several months leading up to this trip is we've been telling the boys about Gran and how sick she is. And they have really, really fixated on that. They ask about her a lot. We pray about it. Um, and, and they've just really kind of, kind of gotten immersed in that. And so we decided before we came that we were going to work it out so that they could go spend some time with her. She's in a nursing home. She's not doing well. In fact, she's so sick that to go see her, we had to put gloves and a gown on. Some of you have seen people that were sick like that. You have to be careful around them that you don't pick something up and And so the boys gowned up and they gloved up and we went to that room and we had just a marvelous time of watching the boys spend time with their great-grandmother. It was a sweet, sweet, sweet time to see them talk to her. She's very weak because she could barely talk, but seeing them hold her hand and 
our family get to come around her and pray with her. And the reason it was so sweet to me, church, is because I'm not going to have to tell my boys stories about their great-grandmother. They actually got to be with her before she died. See, because there's something incredibly different about just knowing about somebody, hearing about someone, and actually experiencing them in the flesh. And here's what I want you to know. If you want to really experience Jesus in 2020 in all of his benefits, personally engage in your role as an ambassador. If you want to experience him in all of his fullness, if you want to get away from that thimble of experience we talked about and jump into the deep end of his grace and power, what Paul is calling us to, is embracing the benefit that we have through the purpose from Jesus Christ as ambassadors. My greatest prayer and joy for you this year is that you would embrace all those benefits. We as a church are guiding people to Christ-centered identity and influence. We're guiding people to multiplying impact for Christ's kingdom. And the reason we're doing that is because we believe that's a great benefit of making disciples that God has called us to. Would you pray with me, please? Father, in Jesus' name, we're thankful for this text. We're thankful for this word. And God, we're thankful that Jesus has so richly, richly blessed us.